Hello, I'm Stuart Chittenden, and this is Lives, a show about conversation, community, and the people that bring community to life. My guest today is the artist Barber. Barber is an interdisciplinary artist based in Detroit. Graduating cum laude in the MFA program at the University of Iowa, Barber uses interdisciplinary art practices to articulate various testimonies within and surrounding black America. Recent scholarships include a fellowship at the Union for Contemporary Art, a Stanley Grant Award from the University of Iowa, and an Alonzo Davis Award from Virginia Center for Creative Arts. And Barber has been exhibited in museums, galleries, and public spaces across the country. Barber, welcome to the show. Ah, oh, thanks. Appreciate it. So I was really struck by this quote from James Baldwin that is given prominence on your website. Mm-hmm. And the, the quote is, the purpose of art is to lay bare questions hidden by answers. So on to us, what, what does that mean for you? First off, I want to say, uh, I don't think I can add or do any justice to James Baldwin. And uh, <laughs> so my opinion is simply very low in just my opinion of it. Um, but yeah, I think that art is supposed to uh, challenge by any and all means uh, something, a part of you. Um, I feel as though the artist's job is to be a critic of society. It could be aesthetically, it could be politically, but the artist is always criticizing or judging or trying to resolve something. It just so happened in my case that I'm looking at it from a social point of view. Um, even thinking about W.E.B. Du Bois, when his whole thing about black art, it's like whatever it is, even if it's just aesthetic, uh, is first uh, propaganda. And I, and I hold to that because whatever we do is, is under this microscope. It's, it's, it's for a cause. We don't, we don't have the, uh, I guess, uh, the liberty to just sit, sit by and sit and, and do anything and, and just do it just because. Uh, we should use our voice and use our whatever to add to uh, the conversation that is and, and surrounds black culture. And so I think uh, James Baldwin uh, is saying that, uh, make, it, make it intentional, basically, <laughs> and challenge, challenge the status quo. I guess borrowing from, from Baldwin, what are some of the questions that are driving mm-hmm. your art form? You know, I think for me personally is, how do I have this conversation? Um, well, there's, there's, two, there's two, two parts to my practice. There's the uh, performance aspect, and then there's the two-dimensional painting. So um, though they're related, they're, they're kind of pushing uh, or asking different questions. With my performance practice, um, I am asking, how can I have this conversation uh, uh, about blackness, and or black oppression uh, with non-black bodies and not seem like I'm complaining and not seem like, and not become or, or, or present myself overly aggressive. That's the question I'm trying to ask myself. That's the question I'm trying to answer. You know, my actions respond, uh, like respond to that. I, I won't say first and foremost, but it's definitely considered. It's considered in my actions. I don't want to come off as uh, complaining because I felt that uh, that's a, that's definitely a thing. 
In fact, at my recent um, opening um, that I had at the pet shop, uh, it was just my paintings, actually. But there's one painting in particular that caught this uh, person's attention, and uh, he accused me of, or he accused black artists of having work that's talking about social issues, and he accused them of uh, stirring the pot because, uh, in his own words, black people have a good these days. <laughs> Should we just pause for a second? We can just, just, yeah. just to let that sink yeah, in. Seriously, seriously. So just, just, I just need to wake up and you know smell, smell the roses. Uh, but that's exactly right. That's exactly what I had to do when he said that. Because he said a lot of things before that that was just as troubling, if not worse. Um, but the image had the words in there, stop lynching. So I have this, I have this series of work uh, that I do where I'm responding to the algorithms on Instagram. I think it's safe to say that my feed on Instagram is uh, curated based off algorithms. And so whenever there's a two consecutive images that have a narrative, I screenshot them. And so the first image says, what's a brother got to do? And it was of Hank Willis Thomas and so on and so forth. And then the next image said, stop lynching. And so I thought that was pretty telling. There was a conversation between those two images that I didn't set up that way. So I screenshot them and then I worked on top of it. Um, but my response to the gentleman was, well, um, a black body didn't actually post that. That was posted by a white female body. And he was stumped. And I didn't get a chance to uh, continue the conversation with him because luckily someone tapped me on the shoulder and gave me a hug and said, hey, congratulations, da-da-da-da. When I turned back, he was gone. Um, but I really wanted, you know, to hear his response to that because, you know, his whole accusation was that, you know, black people post stuff like that just to stir the pot. And here it is that this was not uh, a black body. It was a, it was a white body. So, Your interdisciplinary artistic practice can sort of be bifurcated maybe into two parts. One part is the performance side of things and the other is um, more the visual art. So your two-dimensional work mm -hmm. is trying to answer a slightly different set of questions. Yeah, I think they're the same conversation. It's just that one is more immediate than the other, right? So... I knew that, I know that uh, from going to school for uh, con uh, conceptual art, um, that uh, using your body, you get an immediate reaction. It's an immediate read. And so I use that uh, resource to have certain conversations. Um, and paintings, uh, especially today, uh, with video and social media and everything like that, that uh, is it's a slower read. And so that lends itself to a totally different perspective or a totally different part of that conversation. Um, the paintings are trying to talk about uh, equality and one race and things like that. That's definitely something that's, that's far away. <laughs> as, as, you know, just if you're, if you're aware enough, you, you, that's, that's obvious. Um, and it can seem like very ideal, optimistic, you know, um, but that's the world that I want to see. So I paint that world, hoping that not, you know, our, our kids, kids, kids would definitely live out that world. And you can tell just by how sensitive we are to gender issues today that we're getting closer to that world. But that world is not here yet. 
And so my paintings, with my paintings, I'm trying to converse with that world and, and do my and do my part to bring it bring it about. Um, that being said, I cannot um, ignore what's happening today. And so my performance practice allow, allows me to uh, respond to that, converse with that, uh, even you know interact with that um, because I'm part of a collective called Propelled Animals, and as uh, a number of us, and we are national, and one is actually in uh, Burkina Faso. And so what we do, we do like these site-specific works. I dare say it's almost 100% improv. Um, so like we did a piece at uh, Grinnell, Grinnell College, and they invite us, and for three days, we scope the space, survey the space, and respond to the space, and come up with the piece. Uh, for the next two days, we rehearse that piece, and then the last day, we perform that piece. Uh, we never know what we're going to do until we get there. Um, so that's the fun part, but uh, <laughs> crazy part, too. Luckily, uh, I'm um, in practice with, uh, I'm collaborating with uh, Esther. She's a choreographer. Um, collaborating with Heidi, uh, she's uh, another uh, performance artist as well. So there's there's like a lot of different conversations happening. We have a sex, uh, we have a trumpet player uh, who comes in and just blows the house down. We, whenever <laughs> we like need to fill a gap, you ask the trumpet player to you know come in and do his thing, and then it's fine. <laughs> we definitely want to tear down. We definitely do aim to tear down the fourth wall. Um, so we engage uh, the people as much as possible. We engage other communities around. It's often um, began with some type of procession uh, from uh, we, the one in Iowa we did at the Anglo Theater. It started from the river all the way to the theater. We processed uh, from there. And I was carrying uh, three tires uh, and a flip-flop was shoved in my mouth uh, with, a, with a flag. But, you know, it was all based off what was happening at, at that time. But, um, yeah, it's definitely uh, community involved. Why don't we take one of those performance examples? Sure. So maybe maybe start with just describing how you and your collaborators, mm. how you encountered a particular space, what it did for your thinking, mm. and then maybe we can talk about what you then did and how people responded to it. Mm, mm, mm. Well, um, I can speak for mainly myself, obviously. Um, well, first I can say that, okay, so my work um, in this is definitely coming from, it's about uh, blackness. And then we have Heidi uh, uh, Bartlett, and her work is dealing with femininity. And um, dare I say, tied in with, uh, I don't want to use such a heavy word as religion, but she's definitely 
having conversations with the spiritual um, aspect. And then we have uh, Esther Baker Tarpinga. Um, she is the choreographer and her work is dealing with whiteness and, and also her heritage, her lineage and Judaism uh, responding to that as well. Um, Rocky is another choreographer, blackness uh, and the body. Then we have Courtney, which I think he's dealing with spirituality um, and the body for sure. Um, so the easiest one to talk about would be the performance in Ang at the Anglet because Iowa City was our connection. At the time, for me, what was happening, uh, what I was responding to was uh, the incident that took place where the, uh, the guy drove his car through the group, the, you know, the group of people. Um, that was significant for me because I felt like it was the passing of the baton to white bodies. Like black people have been having this conversation for centuries and white people have been supportive in that conversation. And so um, those white bodies opposing, uh, you know, those, those monuments and things in that nature, that, that was them saying, okay, we're tired of this too. We're tired of looking at this. And I feel like if um, for America to really uh, deal with this stuff, white bodies have to step up and speak on their own behalf not speak because they're tired of seeing black bodies slain in the street for no reason or have anything to do with black bodies. I believe they should speak from a perspective of this hurts me because I can't fully be myself because I'm dealing with this thing that's been, or this moral discrepancy that's been passed down from generations and generations. And it affects my perspective personally. Like they have to find their own uh, personal stake in it. And I felt that the whole Charlotte situation was an example of that. And so to honor their bodies in that whole situation, I wanted to carry tires from the water, like a cleansing. Um, the water aspect has a lot to do with Esther. She, she really vibes with the water too. Um, but she wanted to walk from the water and I definitely do vibe with the water too as cleansing and things in that nature. And, and so I was like, let's, okay, let's do it. And so we processed from there to the space. And the reason I had the flip-flop in my mouth, uh, the flip-flop is, is from Africa. Um, at that time, I was stuffing my mouth with, with things to kind of say like, okay, uh, I, want, I did one piece where I uh, waved the flag for three and a half hours and I stuffed my mouth with cotton. Um, that was to say that whatever I say about my issues will be perceived in this, with, with this history and with, with, with this, you know, I don't know, baggage or whatever. So I'll stu I stuffed my mouth for that reason. And so um, in that piece, I had a flip-flop from Africa in my mouth as I was walking, um, just talking about traveling and things of that nature, however you want to look at that. And Rocky uh, was dealing with the spiritual, and she was doing tarot and um, honoring uh, Oshun, um, so people can participate in that while other things being set up. But it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a lot that's going on. It's kind of like a festival um, taking place. There's a lot of different things. While I was processing, uh, Rocky was doing the tarot and uh, also to the trumpet. We met up with the trumpet and then he started to process with us as well. So it's, it's a big event, actually. Um, yeah. How do you go about 
engaging, promoting it and engaging people to be mm. observers or participants? Mm. And then how do you prefer to memorialize it, if, if at all? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely uh, ephemeral. You know, we, we go in, we, we set it up, we do it, and, and we leave. And hopefully uh, the impact of it all resonates and stays with them. Uh, a lot of times people ask that question, or a similar question, they say, well, what do you want us to do now? Like, you know, we always oft- we often end with a little dance party, and so they're all happy, and then that gets to the Q&A, and they're like, you know, what should we do with this? And my response has always been, take it to your dinner table. Um, have the conversation um, with, 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 with your uncle, with your granddad, um, because they will listen to you about it quicker and they will listen to me about it. Um, generally, our, uh, we've been performing this in, in white spaces, so they look different than me. So, I mean, like, you know, your granddad will definitely hear what you have to say about Charlotte <laughs> versus what I have to say about Charlotte, depending on your granddad, I guess. Um, but, yeah, so that's the remnant uh, that, you know, that's something that they heard, saw, felt, um, resonates with them. We do a lot of... Uh, well, Iowa City, we were fairly known uh, with the grad school there, and that was our all connection. So people came out readily. Uh, but in Grinnell, uh, we asked to be linked with some of their um, sister organizations and things of that nature. So uh, we got a piece that's um, that we're working on, working towards in Pittsburgh. And so we're sending out that very thing, like, hey, who are some of the organ- organizations that you think might be interested? Uh, we plan to have a little uh, potluck gathering just to get familiar with those people and let, let them know, ask for invitation that we're going to be in your space and let them know that they're invited to offer anything they wish, they wish to invite, uh, wish to offer. So it's, it's purely communication. Um, I, I, probably, we probably, I probably promote that more so than my own paintings because, I mean, with my, with my work as an artist, uh, as a painter, you know, it's social media, like, hey, I'm having a show, please come. <laughs> Isn't that nature? Uh, but yeah, so it's kind of similar. You mentioned this gentleman earlier that made the pointed remark about African-Americans never having it so good. What kind of surprises, whether pleasant or unpleasant, have you had because of how people have reacted to your art? Mm, I think it's hard to be surprised by the response because if they if they like it, then I'm like, great, that was the point. <laughs> if they... It, I guess it depends on why they like it or what they don't like about it. Um, I can't say that I'm surprised by it. What I was surprised by wasn't my art, but it was um, how Omaha responded to, or the community of Omaha responded to the Surfside incident. 
Yeah, so I'm that glad was you surprising. touched on that. So, oh, so yeah. why don't you share what that incident oh, was? Sure. So, um, what brought me to um, Omaha was the residency at the Union for Contemporary Art. Uh, at the Union for Contemporary Art, we had an open house, and then the director from Fontenelle Forest came and visited my studio, and conversations later offered me a space at Fontenelle Forest as a resident, as an artist and resident. Um, that residency took place at Neil Woods, uh, which is owned by Fontenelle Forest. Um, so I was there for eight months, basically. On my way there, I wanted to grab some inspiration, uh, actually grab some colors uh, from the river, because uh, I said I, I like the water. <laughs> and so I went, and what was closest is like... Uh, uh, closest point to the river, you go to Surfside, you go down, and there's the river there. And so um, I had my dog with me, and there were the people at the restaurant, so I didn't want to walk near them with my dog because I just want to be respectful. So I parked a little ways back, and I went to the other side uh, where it's just open land. And also I felt that's great, too, because Luke can run. I keep him um, leashless. So we walked over there, and and I was doing just that, but uh, after a while, I just started to skip rocks because I like skipping rocks, um, <laughs> too. It seems so lame, <laughs> but <laughs> I was skipping rocks, uh, and I noticed, and I had my headphones on. And so after a while, my dog got bored of me, tired of skipping rocks. He's like, okay, dude, let's, let's go. And as I was turning around, I noticed that two people from the restaurant was like waving their hands at me. And so I, it felt aggressive, but... I was like, what for? So I just was like, I just waved my hand back because I was leaving anyway. I was done skipping rocks and whatever, whatever. I will be honest, I did hear uh, the woman, I think the woman said something about we're closing. Because um, again, I had my head buzzing. And so I was like, okay, well, I'm leaving anyway. So I just ignored it and kept going. So walking back to my car, uh, I saw that the, there's a like a, dock where the boats come and dock it was hard to scale rocks at a river because the river is too raging but on the dock the water was still and i usually have a goal of skipping at least 10 have 10 skips before i feel satisfied i can move on i couldn't get 10 skips in the river because the water was raging so i was like well let me try one more time to get my 10 before i go back to the studio on my way to the dock i did see a parked truck white truck i just idle sitting idle and I was like, that's odd. It wasn't there before. But I felt like I wasn't doing anything wrong. And, 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 I, and I recall what the woman said, but I was like, okay, there's people in the restaurant. I'm going to get to my car way before they check out. So I'll be done in six minutes. They'll be done in 15. So I skip my rocks. I go there and I skip my rocks. And then this, that truck that was sitting idle like really revs up and, and charges towards me. And I have one rock left in my hand, and I'm looking at him like, what, you know, what's his problem? And he pulls out, rolls down his window and says, hey, you know, I pay for those rocks, and I don't want them in the river. You need to get the hell out of here. And it was, like, way aggressive. And I'm thinking to myself, one, you, I mean, you could have hit my dog speeding so fast. Two, like, you had a, you had a level of intensity that's not necessary, like, and three, like, I didn't know that it was even his property. But like I said, I really was done with that part of 
the day or there. So no, no reason to challenge him and say, well, show me proof that this is your property and, you know, whatever. So I looked at him and I said, one more rock. So I skipped the rock that was in my hand. And the reason I did that is because I wanted him to know that I know what angle or I'm assuming what angle you're coming from. And if you are coming from that angle, this is to say, uh, I'm not going to allow you just to like push me over and bully me. But this is to say, hey, step back, cool yourself. Like, you don't need to talk to me in that way. And if he was coming from a friendly angle, then he would have said, sure, one more rock, man, or whatever. You know what I'm saying? But, um, yeah. So he, <laughs> I told the story so many times I forget uh, where I'm at in it. But so uh, I skipped the rock, and he, he goes, that's it. And then he jumps out this, his truck and charges me and pushes me. Or try to do a lot more, but I kind of like swiped his arms and pushed him back. So he definitely assaulted me. Um, and then he looked as if he was gonna take another charge. And can I curse on the radio or no? Should I just I look at him and I say, "Don't f touch me. Back the f up." And so uh, it kind of like he got the picture. But his ego was at an all-time high, you know. Um, I stopped him again because I, I saw him about to take a charge. Now, the reason it's important to know that the reason I said that was not because I was afraid of him. It's because when I pushed him off of me, I did it fairly easily. And I knew that I could really do damage to this person. And so it was for his sake that I said, don't f touch me. Because you think that because you're bigger than me, I don't know if you saw the picture of this guy, but he's pretty big. You think that because you're bigger than me that you can win this fight, but you can't. So that was, that was me saying, look, back the f*** up. Don't f touch me. Like, seriously, you can get hurt. Um, so I said that again, and I think it resonated uh, because he just got it. He, he reached into his car uh, and grabbed his gun and pointed it at me. And then I was thinking, like, you know, what's, what's the point of that? Like, you think, I mean, I'm not, I'm not afraid of guns. I'm not afraid of a person with a gun. And I'm also not afraid of dying either. And so it just proved that this whole thing was him trying to intimidate me. And so just like I skipped that rock to show him that I'm not intimidated by you, uh, I stood up, squared up with him and said, so what, you know? And then um, he's like, get out of here or I'm going to shoot or something. My, don't quote me on that part because it's been too long. And so um, I say, F you, shoot. And he was like, I'm going to kill you or whatever. And I'm like, do it, shoot. And so he uh, shoots his gun and I felt the rocks hit my leg. Oh, no, he says, uh, that's what he says. He says, get out of here. He didn't say that first. He said, get out of here. And I'm like, you, I'm not going anywhere. Because at that point, I'm not about to turn my back on somebody. Like, this is classic Trayvon. 
I mean, you know, <laughs> this is classic. I forget the, forgive me, I forgot the gentleman's name where the cop told him that he can go. He shot him in his back as soon as he left. Um, and this guy is pretending, I say Trayvon because Zimmerman was pretending to be of authority. This guy is pretending to be of authority. He has no authority over my body. He may have authority over that land, but he has no authority over my body. I don't want to make that clear distinction to him. And so uh, this was me doing so. And also, too, again, I'm not about to turn my back on someone with a gun who just tried to attack me for skipping rocks. It just doesn't make any sense. So I told him, F*** you. Um, and that's when he said he's going to kill me and stuff. And then he shot the gun to let me know that he was serious. And I let him know that I was serious. I said, F*** you. I'm not going anywhere. So we did this whole ego, you know, pissing match for a while. Um, my point in doing this was to gain control of the situation or... Actually, I didn't realize that I was gaining control of the situation. At that point, I was letting him know that I'm not afraid of dying and I will not die on my knees to a bigot. Like, it's just not happening. It's not what I do. And so, um, but after I gained control of the situation, um, I decided I'll take a picture of this because I, I did think that he was going to shoot me in the back. So I said, well, at least I don't have any witnesses out here, just me and my dog. Um, I'll take a picture of him. Um, you know, with the gun or whatever. So after I got my pictures, I started to walk back to the car. And long story short, um, shorter, I got back to the car and I decided I'll take a video since, you know, I felt like a picture might not do it justice. So I got a video of this guy pointing a gun. Um, unfortunately, my video died before uh, he, it, it, he, he, he threw the uh, N-word at me, but I figured um, I had enough to hold him accountable for his actions. But uh, no, I, and I did not have enough uh, because they let him go. Um, and and the, the officer uh, said that I was the one who was trespassing and could be arrested. And and so, and I was uh, fortunately okay with that or I assumed that was going to be the case. But what surprised me um, about this whole situation uh, was how Nebraska Liquor Control, Liquor Control Commission handled it. Um, there's a statute that says that uh, even as a uh, permit holder, you cannot have a gun on the same property where the business makes a quarter of its sales from, uh, a quarter or a half of its sales from alcohol. And that clearly was the case. This guy not only had a gun, but he charged it. In his own words, he shot it. And... Um, so I'm not lying about that. He definitely charged it, and he was on a property where they sell liquor, so he should lose his gun license, and because he uh, owns that business as well, that business should be fined or have to lose their liquor license. And I sent that statute with the video as a complaint to uh, Nebraska Liquor Control Commission, but they did nothing and said they saw no faults. And so that was surprising. The law... You know, the law is the law. They've been doing their, doing what they do for, for years. Um, the first thing I guess I want to say is that I'm sorry that you had that experience. Mm. I'm also wondering, given how calm you are and how attentive you are to using your art mm. to spark conversation, mm. what else you've taken from that experience in terms of maybe extending this conversation about the way we live in this world right now? Well, it's important for me to say uh, thank you for saying that. But this this experience not only happened to me, it happened to us. It happened to Omaha. 
because you shouldn't have to apologize for that type of behavior. So in the same way, you had to go to a place in yourself and say, find sympathy uh, for me um, and, 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 you know, form those words to say, say, say you're sorry. Um, you shouldn't have to go through that. You know what I'm saying? That shouldn't be something, a channel you have to play, go to. Um, so it was important for me to uh, emphasize that perspective. And so back to the being surprised, uh, Omaha pretty much, uh, the, the city of Omaha, or communities in Omaha pretty much uh, rallied around that and said like, hey, sorry, and we shouldn't have this in our city, and this guy is out of line, and so on and so forth, you know. A lot of that, you know, was, was, was um, what do you call it, reactionary. Um, but some people really did, like, write, write letters. And um, <laughs> a lot of people was writing bad reviews on, it, on his page or whatever. Uh, but I guess what I want um, to come from it or what I'm trying to uh, push in my work is that, you know, this is a, this is a we thing. Like, this is a us thing. Uh, it, it, yes, I was the one who was physically attacked and, and it happened to me physically, but we all hurt from this. Uh, we all need to respond to this now, or we all have to respond to this, either by ignoring it or by doing something about it, but it's something that we have to consider now. against my hollow bones that rocks my soul looking back over my false dreams that I once knew wondering why my dreams never came true is it because I'm black Somebody tell me what can I do? Oh Lord, oh something is holding me back. Where did this drive, this motivation, this ambition to embark on a career of art, especially one that was trying, as as Baldwin said, to lay bare questions? Mm -hmm. Where did this emerge from? Tell me a little bit more about your background, mm. how you were shaped as a person, mm. and then how art emerged from that. Well, uh, artistically speaking, like my, my mom, everybody on my mother's side has like some type of visual artistic edge to them. And, and I guess uh, I wanted to pursue it as a career because no one did. And so it was like me trying to live out my mom's dream or, dream or something. She wanted to be an illustrator. And also to the fact that no one did it. So I was like, well, let me, let me actually do something with this thing because it's in all of us. And then I guess the political thing is that, you know, my mom 
always kept us aware of what's going on. I guess I don't want to say the most telling, but one one situation I think about is how I learned about black culture. Um, at school, they taught the class that, you know, when I had to, history, when I had to do with blacks and got to that subject, that part of it, and it was just like, okay, blacks, slavery, and all I remember is slavery. <laughs> and I remember, like, going to lunch the, those days afterwards and playing on the playground and having a totally different relationship to my white friends now. Like, we all learned about ourselves in that class. And, 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 it's, and it separated us. It's like, okay, you, was, you, were, you were a slave and I was a slave owner, you know. And I remember, you know, talking to my mom about it and she wanted to be clear that that's not our beginning. That's not all we are. And so she bought us books about, you know, different people, Matthew Henson, Harriet Tubman, Elijah McCoy, all these people, and making it her business to give me the full picture so I guess I'm trying to make it my business now to give people the full picture of who I am, of who we are. And we're not just this thing that happened to us. Uh, we are more than. And it's important that people understand and see that. So my art practice is towards that end. You have had your own set of life experiences. Mm -hmm. And you have had the secondhand experiences from your engagement with people in the world around you. I'm wondering if, if you find inspiration beyond your own lived experience or, or if you're channeling your work through how you encounter the world. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a filter. I'm definitely a filter. Um, so it's definitely coming from my lived experiences. Um, I make it my business to travel. You know, my, my going to Tokyo was my way of trying to harvest something from their lived experiences, like their their day-to-day -day routine. Whenever I go somewhere, I just go and I walk. I don't, I mean, if I have time, I see tourist attractions and things in that nature, but my plan is to take public transportation, walk in, in parks, whatever, just to see how the, their day-to-day -day and, and see how they uh, motivate themselves or whatever. And so, you know, I either adopt some of those practices or be inspired by it or whatever. Um, so I guess I'm not really sure uh, if I'm answering your question correctly, but um, yeah, I have to say that, yeah, it's definitely um, my choice to like have this conversation about blackness is definitely, definitely um, responding to my experiences uh, growing up and being uh, misread, misrepresented or dare I say miseducated too, about my own self. And so um, a lot of my uh, art is coming from me trying to re-educate myself. In fact, that my series of work at Fontenelle Forest uh, had a lot to do with toxic masculinity um, because that question that um, people ask me after the performance, they say, well, what, what should we do? And I'm like, go have that conversation with your community, basically, your family. Then I got to thinking about what type of conversation I need to have with my community, you know, or with myself. Um, at the time, I was teaching art K through K through eight in Detroit, and so I just saw a lot of toxic masculinity basically within the, within the boys, and I realized that, damn, like you know, I was the same way. I was homophobic, and you know, 
I guess chauvinist or whatever. And 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 I was like, you know, these things. It, it was it was disheartening to see that this, the conversations that they were having were the same conversations that I was having however many years ago. And so I'm like, let's 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 get a, let's get a hold of this. But I can't, for lack of a better words, like educate people without first like challenging my own self. Not that I, my art is trying to educate people. I'm just trying to lay bare questions, basically. I felt, well, let me deal with this within myself. And so I used certain situations um, to, I was responding to certain situations as a boy. So yeah, definitely pull it from my life. If you were not an artist, mm-hmm. what would you be? Um, it was uh, a firefighter. <laughs> a demolitionist a demolition person i guess the person who like blows blows up building um but it was just those it was a demolitionist firefighter then an artist oh but now i have to say uh in in all honesty it would be a teacher i love i love teaching it's unfortunate that um our culture in america actually doesn't respect that practice enough. Not even just in a system wise, like families, um, parents don't respect the teachers and therefore their kids don't respect the teachers. And um, it's even in music to disrespect the teacher and that makes them cool, you know? And I know where it comes from in the black culture uh, because authorities are, have been putting us down even in the school system. So. Matter of fact, I have a piece at the pet shop right now called Dead or in Jail, and it was responding to teachers telling us that you're going to be either dead or in jail before you're 21. And so that led to us disrespecting them in music, but all teachers are not, are not like that. I was not like that. <laughs> but yet I, I suffer the same disrespect as those teachers. So something needs to happen, especially within the black culture, when it comes to respecting um, teachers. Something I don't know how, but there's, there needs to be a, a conversation between teachers and parents, a wholesome conversation between teachers and parents. I'm teaching with YRs now, and um, I love teaching. I always want my hand in it somehow, some way. Um, I don't know as a full-time teacher, though. It's just the game is too broken. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's what I would do. How are you different because of your art? How are you different now after years of practicing this interdisciplinary art? I think I'm different, not necessarily because of my art, just because I'm answering the questions that I have. Everybody have a lot of questions. All of us have questions about life, religion, and everything else. Some of us choose not to resolve those questions. Um, I use art as an excuse, as a motivator, rather, to answer those questions. And so um, you can't help but constantly grow if you're answering the questions that your own self put, put to you, that your conscious put, put to you. Um, I'm, I'm more mature uh, than I was before. Uh, hopefully we all are. <laughs> but my practice as an artist puts that on display, and it holds me accountable more so than any other career, I guess, uh, than, than other careers, not any other, but most, most careers. So it, it forces me, my, the way I practice art forces me to put those things on display and hold me accountable to the things that I say and do. And I like that. Uh, yeah. Doesn't it take a huge amount of courage to be that vulnerable to 
not only put your art out there and literally your body when you're performing, mm -hmm. but at the same time knowing that those acts and practices are inherently ambiguous and uncertain because you're not trying to present the answer. You're, you yourself are looking at questions. Mm -hmm. I think it takes a lot of optimism. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because courage, I guess so, but you really have to believe that it's going to do something that is working and that it, that it works uh, or that it's going to work. Um, and if you believe enough, then you really don't need courage, you know? <laughs> You don't need to, you know, you're not, you're not aware that you're actually being vulnerable. Uh, you just have this mission and have this hope, and that's the fuel for it all. So, yeah, I think that's the case. We all do better when we all do better. That means everyone. All genders and colors just love one another We'll have so much fun We all do better when we all do better That means everything The lakes and the rivers, the streams and the critters All that lives and breathes we all do better when we all do better That means everywhere So go tell your neighbors and even the strangers There's so much to share I've been in conversation with the artist Barbara. Barbara, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, thank you. This is great. That's the end of this week's show. The magnificent Marion Fay helped produce the show. Lives is an executive production of Squish Talks. I'm your host, Stuart Chittenden. Join me next week for more community, conversation, and the people that bring community to life. <laughs>